Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question, and it's a question I want you to think about throughout the message. Maybe even you jot it down to be thinking about as we're talking. It's a question I would even encourage you to ask during the week this week. And here's the question. What do you do when your body, when your eyes, when your passions, when your appetites, what do you do when your body wants what your heart or your conscience or your spirit knows to be wrong? As I ask that question, I'm sure all of us can go back to a time in our life, maybe it was a year ago or five years ago, maybe a couple nights ago, maybe last spring break, maybe on a business trip. Every one of us has a season in our life or a stage in our life or a moment in our life, a really bad day, really bad week, really bad weekend where we were confronted with this dilemma. Now, we didn't at the time think in those terms but we knew something wasn't right as our body said yes. But something inside of us said, I don't think so. I don't think you should go there. I don't think this is going to turn out well. I hope nobody finds out. What did you do when your body wanted something that your heart, that your conscience, that your soul, that your spirit knew to be wrong? Your answer to that question in many ways determines the direction of your entire life. And whether it's, you know, purchases that you made that have left you in debt, or whether it revolves around relationships that have left you with guilt where you wish you could go back, or maybe choices that you have made that ruined a, a friendship, what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? Now, we're in the middle of this series, Right in My Eye, and we're going through some uh, different passages in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. The book of Judges takes place after the Israelites left Egypt and they entered into their promised land. And it turned out in the book of Judges to be a dark time for the people of ancient Israel. And here's why. They chose to disobey God's law. And because they chose to disobey God's law, that in turn led to disaster for them. Disaster for them personally and disaster for them corporately as a nation. And so then they would find themselves being in a tough situation and and in awful circumstances and find themselves crying out to God and saying, God, help me. God, deliver me. Deliver us. And as they cried out, then God in his grace and God in his mercy would send a deliverer or a judge to rescue and save them. By the way, we've all done this same thing. They've been in the same cycle that the Israelites were in. We've all had times in our life where we didn't, we disobeyed God's desires for our life. And that led to disaster in our life. And there are consequences. And we found ourselves crying out to God and saying, God, if you'll just get me out of this, I'll never. If you just help me out here, God, I won't do that again. And then God bails you out. Or maybe it just works out. And then later on, you find yourself back in that same type of situation or same type of circumstances and in trouble again. And that's what happened to the Israelites. That cycle went on over and over and over, and God would raise up a judge to bail them out. And then in the final verse in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21, it was a reflection of that entire 300, 330 or so years prior. And it said this, in those days... There was no king in Israel, and the reason is because God was supposed to be their king, and everyone did what was right in his own what? In his own eyes. He did what was right in his own opinion, 
One translation says, one translation says, as, as they f- see fit. In other words, everybody was making decisions based on what they saw, based on what they felt, based on their own logic and their own reasoning. And so the reason that Israel kept getting into trouble, because instead of looking up to God and to his ways, they kept looking around. And they decided that we want to be like the other nations around us. We want to fit into culture. We want to blend into culture. Rather than having God as our reference point, we want culture to be our reference point. Rather than being holy people, set apart by people by God, we want to be like everybody else. And so they tried to express their freedom from God. God, we don't have to keep your law or your ways, or your commands. And as they tried to express their freedom from God, what they discovered is that they lost true freedom. And these very nations that they tried to be like, these very nations would capture them and conquer them. And it happened over and over and over. Well, the last of of the judges uh, in the book of Judges was actually the most famous judge. And his story is important to us because his story is a story that might just be a reflection of what is going on in your life right now today. Or it might be a reflection of something that went on in your life that you did before or in the life of someone you know or love or care about. And it's the story, and it's a story about a man named Samson. Now Samson had got at a very specific call on the life of Samson. He had a specific role for Samson to play in the life of ancient Israel. And Samson's call, Samson's purpose, was to reflect attention back to God. What do I mean by that? Well, he was supposed to live his life in such a way to honor God, to follow God, and God gave him something. One of the things God gave him, and and if you know anything about the story, you don't even have to be a Christian. You've probably heard the story of Samson before. At least many of you have. You know that one of the things God gave him is he gave him extraordinary what? Strength, right? And so as he would go out there and he was strong, he was supposed and, and do things that were superhuman, and people would say, How is that possible? He was supposed to say, It's not me, it's all God. God gave this to me. God's spirit resides on me and in me. It's all about God, the one true living God. And so Samson and the nation were supposed to be on mission, and that's supposed to direct all of it back to God, but they lost sight of their mission to be a blessing to the nations. And because Samson lost sight of God's call on his life and God's direction in his life, Samson's problem was that he decided rather than to look up, he decided to look around. And specifically, he became fascinated with Philistine women. And even though he knew God's law, and even though he was a judge, and even though he was a leader in the nation of Israel, even though he knew all of that, even though he knew he had been called to a specific role, Samson made a decision. You know, when it comes to my life, I'm going to live life my way. When it comes to my sexuality, I'm just going to be like ordinary men. I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, in my own opinion, as I see fit, rather than on what God has for me and who God wants me to be and who God's called me to be. Now, that's a problem. And the reason it was a problem is because when Samson was born, like a few of the famous people in the Bible, Samson's parents were without children, and an angel of the Lord came to them and said, you are going to have a child. 
And he's going to be special and he's going to be set apart and he's going to be called by God to be different and to do something different and special and, and he's called to be holy. And his life is meant to be a reflection of the power of God and to, to turn hearts and, and minds back to God. So the uh, angel of the Lord told Samson's parents when he's bored, he's to take a Nazarite vow. Now a Nazarite vow involved three things. One of the things it involved is that you could not drink any grape juice or wine. Also, you could not touch anything that was dead. And third, the one that I think maybe a lot of us know, you could, he could never cut his, his hair, right. Now, typically, a person would choose a Nazarite vow for themselves. They would take 30, 60, or 90 days and make a decision that I'm going to do these things, I'm going to go before God, and I'm going to be in prayer, and I'm going to take something before God that's going on in my life, and, and it's a commitment, it's a devotion, it's a dedicated time to God for, for just a short period of time. And it's a decision people made for themselves. In Samson's case, poor kid, his parents say, sorry, Sammy, you have this Nazarite vow, but it's got to last your whole life. Samson didn't have a say in it. He didn't get to decide. But you know what Samson did get to decide? He did get to decide if he was going to lean into it. He did get to decide if he was going to lean into it and to be faithful what God has called him to. And see, you and I have the same opportunity every single day of our life. That we have the opportunity to choose whether or not we're going to be faithful to what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. And my question for you, before we go any further, is are you being faithful to God's call in your life? As you sit here this morning, as you look at your life, the choices you're making, the decisions you're making, the way you're living your life, are you being faithful to who God has called you to be and to what he has called you to do? Samson eventually joins the border patrol to guard the border between Israel and the Philistines. Everybody realizes when the Spirit of God comes on Samson that he could do extraordinary things physically, so he becomes a leader, he becomes a judge. And what gets interesting in our story is he becomes enamored with Philistine women. His eyes, his body, his passions, his appetites betrayed his heart or his conscience. So he would do what was right in his own eyes as he saw fit. Let's pick it up and see the story of how it begins with them. Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. We're going to look at Judges 14 and Judges 16. And it tells us here in Judges chapter 14, it says this. It says, Samson went down to Timnah. That he went down to Philistine territory where he shouldn't have gone. He went down to Timnah and what? He what? What does the word say? He saw there a young Philistine woman. After he came back across the border, where, where, again, he shouldn't have gone over there, when he returned, verse 2, he said to his father and mother, I have what? I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Interesting. I don't know if your kids talk to you that way. I don't know how that go today. It was a bit awkward on multiple levels, especially asking your parents to go risk their lives and cross the border to go find this woman for them. Why should they do that? Why? Well, because he saw what his heart knew to be wrong. He saw what his heart knew to be wrong. Verse 3, his father and mother replied, and this is so like parents, 
Isn't there anybody acceptable among your own family? Isn't there, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? In other words, Samson, come on. You've been called by God. God has something special for you. And now you want to go out and you want to hook up with somebody who's not even part of our race? His parents knew, Samson knew, this was against the laws of God. Israelites were not to marry foreign people, foreign men or foreign women. Not because God was against interracial marriage. It didn't have anything to do with that. It's really kind of like, you know, a Dallas Cowboy fan and a San Francisco 49er fan marrying each other. It's really the best example I can think of. Because when they get married, they each bring their stuff with them, right? You merge all the sweatshirts and the signed autograph balls and posters, and it creates some really bad problems when you mix the gold and red with the white and blue. You know what I'm saying? But seriously, yeah, congrats to the Niners. That's great. Good for you. But seriously, the problem with marrying outside of Israel is that if you, God knew if you married someone outside of Israel, outside of your own people who believed in Almighty God, that they would bring in their stuff. And their stuff, specifically, their foreign gods, their false foreign gods. And God knew that it, the Israelites would, would, would choose to abandon him and walk away and follow those false foreign gods. And God didn't want that for them. God wanted, didn't want worship of Almighty God to be diluted in any, in any way possible. But Samson said to his father, verse 3, get her for me. She's the right one for me. One translation says, she pleases me well. Now this is what's interesting. That little phrase, right one for me, in Hebrew, it almost matches exactly the phrase in Judges 21 where it says that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Right one for me. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Same phrase. Here's what you need to know. Nothing is the right thing, and no one is the right one when it violates the commands of God. Did you catch that? No amount of justification on our part, trying to go before God and bargain before God, God's not going to say as you try to justify before him, oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Hey, thank you. That's a good point. You know what, Gabriel, everybody, let's, we're going to let this person do that. We're going to let them be that and get that and treat them that way. It's okay. You can have a pass. Everybody in heaven, just so you know, this person, they get the exception because they made a good point to me. Samson's problem, his primary driver in his life, was what pleases me? I'm not going to let anybody get in my way. Or as culture tells us today, I'm going to follow my heart. My question for you is what is your primary criteria for making decisions? In your life, what drives you? Is it pleasing yourself or is it pleasing God? It's a question we need to ask ourselves every single day. One of the easiest verses to memorize in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. It simply says this, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. You and I have the choice. Are we going to please God or please ourselves? And so how about we evaluate the last few decisions we've made? Maybe the last few major decisions you've made. 
Were you spirit-led in those decisions or desire-led? Were you led by your desire to please God or to please self? Well, Samson, he goes into the Philistine territory. He gets married to this woman. He ends up in this whole, I'm not going to read the whole story. He ends up basically offending everyone, so they kick him out of his land. They end up putting her to death because of his association with Samson. It was just a total disaster. Then it goes on, and there's another story where Samson's eyes are big, and he has these passions for, for these Philistine women, and he goes across the border one night, spends the night with a Philistine woman, uh, basically almost gets captured, has to do a superhuman strength thing, and it was, just, it, it was just completely irresponsible, all because of his desires for Philistine women, his desires for what he saw. But then the story slows down, and the story slows down, and we get to the woman that I think most of us have heard of before. Whenever you say Samson, it always there's name association. It's always you know who it is. It's Samson and Delilah. Delilah. Now, when we look at this story, which we're going to try to go through as quick as we can, some of you are going to think, could a man really be that stupid? I mean, (laughs) is it possible for a dude to get so worked up in his desire for a specific woman that he would make the same stupid decision over and over and over? And what's the answer? Yes. Dudes, I'm not trying to pick on you, but... It's just kind of the reality because most men can say and they can look back and they can say there's a time in their life where they got so worked up over, over a girl or a lady or a woman and you look back and go, man, those are some of the dumbest decisions I've ever made. You spent money that you didn't want anybody knowing about. You went places that you didn't want anybody knowing about. You did things that you didn't want anybody to know about. And you look back now and you go, how could I have been so dumb? Why? Because desires are that powerful. Appetites are that powerful. Specifically here, because sex is that powerful. In fact, our desire for sex may be the most powerful thing that there is. Because here's the reality. It's been said that men are pretty simple. They just need three things. It's been said they need Food, sex, and an occasional pat on the back, right? And maybe, maybe you've heard that. And, 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 and apparently some have even said, you know, if a man has to choose between food and sex, they'd rather starve to death. <laughs> so I uh, said that in first service and no one laughed. <laughs> to, to which I thought, there's not a lot going on with this group. And... No wonder they come to the first service, early to bed. And Did I say that out loud? I'm just, oh gosh. When we read this story, we read this story and think there's no way a guy could be that dumb. But those of us who know and understand, it's possible. It's absolutely possible. How? Why? Because that's the power of our desires. That's the power of sex. And it's a powerful thing that God created. And it's a wonderful thing. But when we get involved with sex outside of the bounds of what God created and God designed and planned, which is in the context of a marriage relationship, outside of that, it becomes incredibly destructive. And you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. You just have to have lived a few years to understand 
what I'm talking about. So the story goes on with Samson's new girl, Judges chapter 16. Skip forward a couple chapters. Let's quickly get through the story. Judges 16, it says, sometime, verse 4, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. So the Philistine leaders, they find out, hey, Samson's fallen for another one of ours and he thinks he's in love and so let's go to her and talk to her and see if we can do something here because he's kicking our butts, okay? He's strong physically and he's wreaking havoc upon us. And so they go to her and they say to her in Judges 16 verse 5, they say, see if you can lure him. One translation says, see if you can trick him. Another translation says, see if you can entice him. I think about that word lure, and what's a lure? A lure, if you're involved in fishing, you know a lure, first of all, it's something that's not real. It's fake. And it's something you toss into the water, and, and a fish comes up and sees something, and grab, and go, oh, good, and grabs it. And then once it's in its mouth, it's starting to think, uh-oh, not so good. It had been suckered in. It had been lured in. It had been enticed in. It had been tricked to believe it was something real. See if you can lure him in to showing you the secret of his great strength and how he can overcome him so we may tie him up and subdue him. If you do this, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver, which is just a lot of money. Verse, uh, Judges 16, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Dudes, it should have been your first clue right there. This is not a good woman. This is not a good situation. This is not going to go well. But Samson was caught up in his desires, in his passions, in his appetites. So Samson answered, verse 7, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Now, if you read the whole story or you know the whole story, you might be thinking through this, Samson, Samson, man, you've been set apart by God. God has plans for your life. God wants to do something amazing with you. And God wants to use you to bless others. Why would you consider going down this path? Why would you consider doing this? Verse 8, it goes on and says, The rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. She tied them up with men hidden in the room. She called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to the flame. So the secret of his strength had not been revealed. Verse 10, then Delilah, and really we're at a point where this should have been the end of the relationship. It's not a healthy thing. Then Delilah says to Samson, you made a fool of me, Samson. You lied to me. Of course he lied to you. You lied to him. He's now lying to you. That's the relationship that you have here. I know this goes without saying, but lying, gang, is not a healthy relationship. And we look at this and we read this story and go, oh, man, this is crazy. This is overt. And I, I'd never be a part of this. If we got honest with ourselves and said, how many of us in this room are, being, are lying or being deceitful in some way, shape, or form with our spouse or with someone we're close in relationship with? Lying and deceit is not part of a healthy relationship. It erodes, destroys intimacy. And that's what they have going on. There's lying and there's deception. But Samson's caught up in his passions, in his desires, 
And so he isn't thinking straight. Delilah asks him, come on, tell me how you can be tied. And so then he gives another example of, of, you know, that's not the bowstrings, you need new rope. And so then the same thing repeats itself. She, She gets him drunk, he passes out, he wakes up, he's tied up. Surprise, surprise, you know, and then she's like, Philistines are upon you. He breaks the ropes, chases him out. Round two here. Verse 13. She says, all this time you've been making a fool of me. Here's the word. You've been lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. And you're just thinking, how, how is this possible? This is the power of our desires, gang, that we can get caught up and things that aren't good for us, that aren't healthy for us, that are sinful. And so it goes on again, and he gives another example about his hair, and we have a third situation. He chases him off a third time. Verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? Now, I I laugh at that, and I think that's unbelievable, but the reality is some of us are in those type of relationships. Some of you are in those type of relationships. Some of you have been in those type of relationships. Some of you, have, whether it's a spouse or whether it's a friendship, and you know if there's love in the relationship, how is it that we don't have a connection that we're not able to confide in one another? But they don't have love. All they have is their physical passions. She said, this is the third time you've made a fool of me and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And then we get to a verse that people like to have fun with and laugh about and all that. Verse 16, with such what? There it is. It's in the Bible. With such what? Nagging. She prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. Uh, Right now, really, no comment. We have to go on. Don't raise your hands if you've experienced it. So he says, no ra- verse 17, no razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God. He knows. He knows. When you and I are caught up in our sin, you know, don't you? Your heart, the Holy Spirit in you, if you're a Christ follower, your conscience knows He knew he was a Nazarite, set apart by God, dedicated by God, dedicated to God. He had been called to live a life on purpose and for purpose and to be on mission for God. And yet he decided, I'm just going to do what's right in my own eyes. So he thinks he loves her, so he's going to tell her the truth. He says, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I'd become as weak as any other man. She gets him drunk, he goes to sleep, he wakes up with a haircut. And it goes on in verse 20, and she says, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep. He thought, I'll just go do what I did before and free myself. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. In other words, of course, it was never about the hair. It was always about the Spirit of God in him. Verse 21, here it is. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his what? Gouged out his eyes, which had been the problem the whole time. You know, I can't help but wonder, when Jesus was given the Sermon on the Mount, and you're there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, I can't help if Jesus, when he said what he said there, wasn't thinking about this story. Because he said in Matthew chapter 5, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I just wonder if he was thinking about that. So they gouged out his eyes, they took him down to Gaza, they binded him with bronze shackles. (laughs) Just in case, right? In case it's another trick here. We're not using ropes this time. 
and they set him to grinding grain in the prison. And like for us, like Samson, his expression of freedom, that he thought he could live life his way, he thought he could be free, his expression of freedom actually robbed him of true freedom. Consequently, he died in shackles. He died as a prisoner. How could anybody be so stupid? It's simple. Because when you or I or Samson or anyone does what is right in their own eyes, when we give in to our desires, when we ignore that still small voice in us, when we ignore our conscience, when we ignore the Holy Spirit who lives in us, and when we fail to yield our life to the Creator God, eventually we will make poor decisions. And those decisions will end in hurt, in sorrow, and sometimes even in tragedy. And here's why this story is so important for us here this morning. And you don't have any idea what God wants to do in and through your life if you'll just yield your life to the Creator. You have no idea. You have no idea what He wants to do in and through your life. But you've got to yield. Surrender. Submit to Him. 1,300 years after this story with Samson, another guy uh, got saved and gave his life to Jesus Christ and is living this life with an incredible faith in Christ. His name was Paul, and he was an apostle, and he wrote to Gentile and Jewish Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and he said something very interesting, almost a commentary on what we've been talking about. He said to the Christians, he said, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? In other words, that same spirit that resided on Samson and in Samson that allowed him to do the extraordinary, that same spirit, if you're a Jesus follower, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, that same spirit, the Holy Spirit is in you whom you've received from God. And look what he says. What does it say? He says, you are not your own. You've been set apart. You're holy, just like Samson. You're not your own. You have this vow, if you will, before God. Now check this out. You're not your own, verse 20. You were bought at a price. Steve talked about that price earlier. That price was Jesus Christ becoming a man, becoming one of us, human, and dying on a cross for us. He didn't deserve to die, but he died so that we can live. You were bought at that price Therefore, in other words, in light of all this, in light of the fact that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, in light of the fact that you've been bought by Jesus Christ, in light of all that, therefore, honor God with your bodies. The scriptures tell us the Holy Spirit lives inside of us if you're a Jesus follower. So I ask you, do you have any idea what God wants to do in and through you if you would just be willing to surrender your life to Him, to yield your heart to Him. I understand why it's hard. I understand why it's difficult. Because there's times in our lives where we wonder, does God really care about me? Is God trying to keep something good from me? Is God trying to, is He not really for me? James chapter 1 says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. See, God says, I'm not trying to keep good things from you. I'll give you my laws, my commands, my, my call in your life. He wasn't trying to keep good things from Samson. 
He wanted to give him good things. He wanted to give us good things. And God just doesn't want us to sacrifice our future potential for something we're going to regret today because of our eyes, because of our heart, because of our passion. So I ask you, what area of your life, what areas of your life is the Holy Spirit bringing to attention right now? What area or areas of your life have you been doing what is right in your own eyes rather than in the eyes of God? What area of your life have you been doing what you want rather than what God wants for you? That's a question I want you to think about, and I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. And if it would be helpful for you to kind of concentrate and focus, even close your eyes. The question is, are you willing to yield that area of your life to God right now? The area that you've been doing it your way. You've been caught up in your own desires, your own passions, your own opinion, what you see as fit for your life. And God's calling out and saying, that way ends in disaster. But if you will yield to me, I have an incredible life for you. If you're willing, would you yield that to God now? God, would you hear our prayers? And I'm going to ask you if you're willing to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, yield this area of your life, would you just say something like this, a prayer to God, say, God, I come before you now as your Holy Spirit brings to my attention this area of my life and name it before God. Say, God, I'm tired of doing this my way. And so I surrender this area of my life to you. I'm going to seek to do what's right in your eyes rather than my eyes. In Jesus' name. God, would you hear these prayers and respond. And if you're here this morning and you have never yielded your life to Jesus Christ, you've never transferred your trust from trusting in yourself to allowing God to be your Lord and Savior, allowing Jesus to be your Savior. If you're ready to say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus, if that's you, would you pray with me right now? It's not the exact words, it's more that you would mean it in your heart, but would you say something like this? Jesus, thank you for your incredible gift that you gave to me, this gift of forgiveness of my sins, this gift of eternal life. And I want to receive that now. So as best as I know how, I surrender my life to you. I transfer my trust from trusting in myself for my life to trusting in you for my life. That I'm going to do what's right in your eyes. So I give my life to you. I surrender to you. Thank you for saving me and giving me this new life. In Jesus' name, God, hear these prayers as we call out to you, as we worship you. Give us the strength, give us the courage through your Holy Spirit to live this life you called us to. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.